Alrighty, I, uh, Keith isn't here today, so I'm just going to introduce myself. I'm Dan Wallach. Um, in terms of background, I'm pretty sure I was born. And then I, I, I do kind of remember going to, to college and medical school somewhere along the way. Excuse but, me. Did you yeah. turn that on? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear it now, Mike? <laughs> okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> Got an MD-PhD somewhere along the, along the way. Uh, spent my professional career first at uh, Columbia, then at the University of Maryland, then at Rutgers, New Jersey, and now here at Dartmouth, where I've been for 18 months. So today we're going to be talking about types of seizures, and what do we call them, i.e., what's the terminology like nowadays, and what do they look like? For those of you who need to get CME, the code is 5CVW. And the obligatory conflicts of interest slide, I do not have any conflicts of interest. So we're going to begin with a couple of de definitions. A seizure is a transient occurrence of signs or symptoms due to abnormal, excessive, or synchronous neuronal activity in the brain. But having a single seizure does not necessarily mean that a person has epilepsy. And seizures in general fall into two main groups, focal and generalized, although there's a bunch of them that don't fit into either of those categories. When we approach the diagnosis of seizures and epilepsy, we bring to the table the same tools we bring to any clinical problem. We take a history, we do a physical exam, and then we do some laboratory tests. And in the, in the case of seizures and epilepsy, the history is the most important, because unless we're very lucky, the patient's not there having a seizure right in front of us. We're listening to the, to the history from either the patient or the parent. The physical exam, in general, is not all that revealing. At best, it gives us some idea about the potential etiology of the seizure. And similarly, laboratory tests aren't all that useful um, either. I mean, certainly, we, once again, we can look for etiology by doing blood tests and, and imaging. Um, the EEG itself can be of some help, um, but that's the topic of a whole other discussion. For three or four decades now, people have made the point that there's actually three different levels of diagnosis that we want to achieve. The first is the seizure diagnosis or classification, i.e., what is that seizure type? The second is what is the etiology, what causes it, and the third is to make a syndrome diagnosis if there is one to be made. And the epilepsy syndrome is a disorder characterized by a cluster of signs and symptoms that customarily occur together. And the importance of this is, A, that it may help us out with prognosis, it may help us out with other things to be looking for, and probably most importantly, the reason we're interested in pediatrics is that the vast majority of uh, described and accepted syndromes uh, begin in the pediatric age group. So just to remind everybody, a seizure is the event, but epilepsy is the disease associated with spontaneously recurring seizures. And the traditional definition of epilepsy has been around for, once again, 30, 40 years now, is that epilepsy is a disorder characterized by two or more unprovoked seizures occurring more than 24 hours apart. It's nice, it's short, it's easy to apply. There are a few exceptions uh, to it. And certainly it doesn't necessarily agree with clinical practice because sometimes we do start seizures, after, it's, do start treatment after just one seizure. 
Also, if you pay attention to what this definition actually says, it suggests that a person can never actually outgrow their epilepsy. Okay? You can also have a defined epilepsy syndrome, but if you've only had one seizure so far, you wouldn't be actually classified as having epilepsy. So you could have the syndrome without the epilepsy. And then similarly, they ignored uh, photic and reflex seizures, i.e. seizures that are triggered by a specific uh, stimulus. So this led people to propose a more practical definition of uh, epilepsy. This, I think, was 2005. And so once again, at least two unprovoked seizures occurring more than 24 hours apart, but one seizure unprovoked, meaning no immediate cause like hypoglycemia, um, but with the other indications that the probability for recurrence was um, at least 60% or more. And then the third way you could get in there is that syndrome diagnosis. If you have an epilepsy syndrome, even if you have had fewer than two seizures, you still have epilepsy. Okay. And finally, they made a point of saying that epilepsy can be considered resolved. If you had a uh, type of seizure that typically lasted at a certain age group and you were beyond that age group, or alternatively, if you'd been seizure-free for 10 years, at least five of those years being off of medication. And being able to say that your you know, epilepsy has resolved is important from a social standpoint and things like insurance. So in terms of seizure classification, Two, two millennia ago, Julius Caesar wrote that all Gaul was divided into three parts. And similarly, in the 19, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s, the International League Against Epilepsy decided to try to come up with a standardized terminology for, for seizures and epilepsy, and they divided all seizures into three types. What they came up with is a document known as the International Classification of Epileptic Seizures. Uh, it was proposed by this Committee on Classification, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit more later, and was then accepted by the General Assembly of the International League Against Epilepsy in 1981. So the International League Against Epilepsy is kind of modeled on the UN, okay? And pretty much every country has its own chapter out there. And these working you know, committees uh, come up with, with uh, position papers, and then it gets distributed to all the different chapters, and then at some point in time, all the chapters vote on it as to whether or not to accept it as their official policy or not. And so this first classification was indeed accepted, voted on and accepted in 1981. And so there were three types of seizures. We had generalized seizures of non-focal origin. We had partial seizures, also known as focal seizures, but partial was the preferred terminology. And then we had seizures that didn't fit into either of the above uh, two categories. Generalized seizures were further subdivided into the tonic-clonic. Seizures that are just tonic, seizures that are just clonic, absent seizures, atonic and akinetic seizures, and finally bilateral epileptiform myoclonus, recognizing that myoclonus is really just a descriptive term, meaning jerking, and that the stuff that was bilateral tended to be more likely to be a seizure as opposed to uh, just a movement disorder. They then came to the partial seizures. They, they subdivided this a bit more. 
So he had simple partial seizures where the important part was that there was absolutely zero impairment of consciousness. And then you could have either motor signs, sensory signs, autonomic signs, or what was termed psychic symptoms. There were also what we refer to as being complex partial seizures, where consciousness was impaired, but not completely lost the way it was in a generalized seizure. Okay, and you could get there two ways. You could get there by starting as a simple partial seizure, but then progress to the impairment of consciousness, or you could start off with impairment of consciousness right at the onset. Okay, and when you started right away with impairment of onset, it could either be just that, in which case a person just kind of stared, or you could have some sort of automatic movements. And with partial seizures, either the simple partial type or the complex partial type could then spread to involve the entire brain, and that was termed secondary, sec, to, to secondarily generalize or secondary generalization. If we looked at the terminology that existed before then, people were still using petty mal and grand mal, but those referred to absence and generalized tonic-clonic seizures. And then there were a bunch of other terms that nowadays uh, you hardly ever hear for the complex partial and the other types of seizures. That third category of unclassified seizures were simply seizures for which there was inadequate or incomplete data. Um, and this could be in general. There were types of seizures, for instance, neonatal seizures back at that time, that justified you know, classification. We couldn't decide whether they were generalized or partial. But there were also individual cases where maybe you didn't see the onset of the seizure, and therefore you couldn't put it into one grouping or the other. And then there was this very short list of commonly accepted epilepsy syndromes, things like infantile spasms, the benign focal epilepsies of childhood, and juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. Um, some of these things simply made the list because they were topical. Juvenile myoclonic epilepsy had really just been, you know, very uh, carefully uh, defined. Benign familial neonatal seizures was on the list simply because it was the first disorder that, with which a, a gene was ever associated. When you looked at the list of, of etiologies, this was one of the common lists that they, uh, that they proposed at, at the time. And the thing to note about it is that it begins with no definite cause, because especially back then, we were not able to find causes over half the time. So then some years passed. The committee met again. It produced another document. This time they called it the International Classification of Epilepsies and Epileptic Syndromes. And here their goal was to try to integrate the etiologic and syndromic levels of diagnose diagnosis into the entire classification system. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a flavor for this. Instead of partial seizures, they now call them localization-related seizures and syndromes. And you could have idiopathic ones so, for instance, that benign Atlantic epilepsy and, and the benign occipital epilepsies. Or you could have symptomatic ones where, there, where we thought there, there was a uh, cause. But then when you got rid of those kind of very specific sort of symptoms, they then began just saying, well, gee whiz, all seizures coming from the temporal lobe, that could be considered a syndrome. And they could be simple 
partial in nature. They could be complex partial in nature. They could be one of those two, two things and then secondarily generalize. But what was interesting about this was it became a very nice description of all the possible types of symptoms you might, and signs you might see with that a seizure originating in that uh, uh, area. So for instance, the epigastric rising sensation and with simple partial seizures. We're in a complex partial seizures, that motor arrest with staring, duration of more than a minute, followed by postictal confusion. Okay. EEG abnormalities for those of us who are interested in EEG. Similarly, frontal lobe epilepsies. They could be simple or complex partial, and they could also secondarily generalize. But interesting facts about them, several times daily, frequently during sleep. Status epilepticus, you know, common. The seizures tended to be very short, with rapid secondarily generalization. And you could have all these tonic and postural motor signs. Parietal lobe epilepsies, well, okay. Sensory predominantly, because that's where the sensory cortex is. Occipital lobe epilepsies, once again, any type of seizure, but, but, but frequently with visual types of uh, symptoms. And then you had this wonderful term that was introduced, which was cryptogenic, which meant we think that there's a cause, but we don't know what it is. And then they similarly divided up the generalized epilepsies. Once again, there were more defined uh, syndromes here. But once again, they, they threw in syndromes of childhood absence epilepsy, juvenile absence epilepsy, juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. And once again, they had those same sorts of categories. Cryptogenic and symptomatic, symptomatic alone. Okay, and then they, in 1989, they made the point that there were epilepsies and syndromes where it couldn't be determined whether they were focal or generalized, or maybe they were both. Okay. So, and then they put a fourth category in of some special syndromes, which from the point of view of pediatrics included febrile seizures. That was also passed by the General Assembly and ratified. And then, so since 1981, 1989, the two schemes have kind of defined the vocabulary that we use to talk about seizures. The committee kept meeting roughly every five years, and indeed, very official reports were issued in 2001 and 2006, um, proposing different schemes, including one where you would make di a diagnosis on five different axes. You know, I don't know, I keep asking my psychiatry friends where they got that idea from. <laughs> but um, they, interestingly, they were controversial, and the General Assembly never ratified them, so they were never adopted. Okay, the, at that time, the latest report from the commission came out in 2010. And everybody had high hopes for this, okay? Long, long title, revised terminology and concepts, okay? It came out, the committee met from 2005 to 2009. If you ever see pictures of the committee at work, they're very interesting. It was generally done in Geneva. And the, the pictures are usually of them all at some nice restaurant. <laughs> and um, it looks like they had a good time doing it. Um, it was a very controversial uh, thing when it first came out. It actually harked back very much to that 1981 uh, classification. If we looked at what the major changes were over those you know, 29, 30 years, neonatal seizures were no longer separate. Absence seizures have now been divided into typical 
and atypical subtypes, along with special feature ones, which included some form of myoclonus. Partial seizures were no longer to be called partial. They were now going to be called focal. And instead of using the words simple and complex, which were thought to be too obscure for most people to understand what was meant, you were supposed to use the phrases with or without impairment of consciousness or, or awareness, and then with observable motor or autonomic components. And then instead of the phrase secondarily generalized seizures, three words long, you were supposed to say a focal seizure with impairment of consciousness or awareness evolving to a bilateral convulsive seizure involving tonic and clonic components. Okay, three words replaced by 27. There were a few changes that were kind of reasonable. What we called idiopathic, meaning we didn't know what caused it, was replaced with the word genetic because we thought that most of those were genetic. Symptomatic, meaning that there was a cause, we replaced with the word structural metabolic because we thought that most causes, such causes were either structural in nature or metabolic in nature. And that weird word cryptogenic was simply going to be replaced with unknown. We were going to eliminate the term benign, as in benign melantic epilepsy, because we really didn't mean that the seizures were benign. What we really meant by saying benign was that they were self-limited in terms of age and that people would eventually outgrow them. And then the most controversial part of it all was that they wanted to organize everything by the age of onset, all those epilepsy syndromes. Okay? And that really wasn't a very successful thing because when you look at the age of onset, most of them had a rather wide range. They could start in infancy, they could start in the teenage years. So organizing them by age of onset just really didn't you know, prove to be very useful. So where are we now in 2017? Well, guess what? That 2010 proposal was so controversial, it was never approved. The General Assembly just wouldn't vote on it to, to approve it. So now they came along, the committee met again for over a number of years and provided and offered yet another new classification scheme. And one of the things that's really interesting about this is this is the first time that the new scheme won't actually have to be ratified. They changed the rules. <laughs> they gave up. They said, we've had you know, five different iterations now, and none of them have gotten approved. Instead, we won't need to approve this one. And, they, and instead, they substituted a long period of several years where, where things were posted in, in the journal Epilepsia Online, which is an open access journal. And uh, people could respond with whatever they thought about this new classification system. So, once again, going back to our diagnosis scheme. Remember the original one back in 1981, we had three levels of diagnosis. We similarly have three levels of diagnosis now. We have the, um, if I can find my, we have the upper level, which is the seizure type. And you, once again, you have focal, you have generalized, and you have unknown. And then you have the epilepsy type, once again, focal, generalized, uh, combined, focal and generalized, and unknown, okay? And that's in recognition that obviously if you have a combination category, then you can have two of these going into one. 
And then down here, finally, you would still make the epilepsy syndrome diagnosis. Now, interesting, in this classification scheme, they really don't talk much about the epilepsy syndromes. They're really worried about that classification on a clinical basis. Well, what happened to that second level of diagnosis, etiology? Well, they stuck it over here on this side. Okay, and it doesn't show up very well, but that has things like structural and genetic and metabolic and infectious as categories in there. And they basically said that's not really a second level of diagnosis. That's something that should be considered at all three of these levels. And then, just because this side of the diagram was kind of empty, they put comorbidities over there to remind us all, that we should all be thinking about them. So this is the basic classification scheme. They reduced it all to a diagram. Okay, once again, we have focal onset, generalized onset, and unknown onset. Okay, we then can subdivide each group. In the focal onset, we have aware, i.e. preserved consciousness, and impaired. And then furthermore, you can, sub you can figure out whether there's a motor component or whether there isn't a motor component. And then what we used to call secondary generalization was now be, to be called focal seizure progressing to bilateral tonic-clonic. Okay, generalized onset, once again motor, with either tonic-clonic or other cat categories, and non-motor, meaning absence. And similarly, the unknown onset was separated into motor and non-motor. No sooner you say this, and they kind of expand some of those categories a little bit. And this is really where the crux of it is, okay? Your, fo your focal onset, once again, preserved awareness, impaired awareness. But in motor onset, you now see the different types of motor activity we're talking about. Automatisms, atonic seizures, meaning lack of tone, clonic seizures, where you just shake, spasms, hyperkinetic seizures, i.e. excessive movements, usually just of uh, one part of the body, myoclonic seizures, and tonic seizures. Okay, And then non-motor onset, well, that's where you had things like just the staring, the autonomic symptoms, uh, which is changes in pulse and blood pressure, for instance, um, emotional seizures where you might fear, have fear or uh, joy, sensory seizures where you might get numbness or tingling, and cognitive seizures, by which they really meant things like deja vu. Um, then you had the generalized onset, once again, motor symptoms. Well, you could be tonic and clonic, you could be clonic, you could be you know, uh, tonic alone, you could be myoclonic. And what's kind of interesting here is in a way that this is different than it was in 1981, is some of the same ones are here are here. So for instance, um, myoclonic seizures can be focal in nature or they can be generalized. Back in 1981, we thought they were all just generalized. Um, and uh, this idea of uh, epileptic spasms, you know, the classic one being infantile spasms. Well, look at that. It appears in the focal category, it appears in the generalized category, and it can even appear in the unknown category. So they expanded a lot of those things. Um, makes it a little bit clumsier. Just to remind everybody what the 1981 classification looked like, if you put it all on one page, a lot simpler. Okay, they had a lot of good motivations for their revision. Um, 
mostly having to do with the fact that we, we're now recognizing that some types of seizures could be focal as well as generalized. Um, and the other big motivation was this one down here, to get rid of terms that they didn't like, such as psychic, partial, simple partial, complex partial, and then people tried, instead of that 23-word-long you know, long descriptive phrase I'd mentioned before, tried to use, just shorten it to discognitive seizures. They did explain things rather nicely why they did things. They said, look at all the different ways we could uh, you know, uh, classify our seizures. We could go on the basis of pathophysiology, but unfortunately we don't understand pathophysiology very well, so we can't come up with a useful system. We could do it on the basis of anatomy, and you know, people involved with doing a lot of seizure surgery like that one. We could do it on the basic of, basis of networks, like what networks do we think are involved? But that suffers the same problem as, as pathophysiology, is that we're not really sure about them. We could do it on a kind of practical basis, like how do they respond to different anticonvulsants? Or maybe just based on the EEG pattern. But instead what they decided to do was just to try to fix the 1981 system as and, and build a lot on what the 2010 never accepted classification system had in it. So key seizure signs and symptoms. That was kind of good to define things once again. Okay, automatisms meant automatic behaviors. Um, emotions meant emotions or the appearance of emotions. Uh, tonic meant extension or flexion postures. Um, autonomic meant things like flushing and sweating. Myoclonic meant jerking but in an arrhythmic manner, whereas clonic meant jerking in a rhythmic manner. And there was a lot of discussion. They, must, they spent a good, you know, three quarters of a page trying to decide what the difference was between rhythmic and arrhythmic jerking and how much arrhythmicity you were allowed to still be considered, you know, rhythmic. Uh, they defined a little bit better what uh, that eyelid myoclonia was when we were talking about it with, um, with absence seizures. Uh, just for, in case you didn't know, sensations included numbness, tingling, sounds, smells, <laughs> tastes, visions, and vertigo. Um, hyperkinetic is another interesting term. They officialized the use of hyperkinetic, which really meant thrashing and pedaling type movements. And spasms meant trunk flexion. And these were the major changes that they made in this classification system. Okay, they were going to allow some seizures to be the focal of generalized onset. They were going to have, you know, put more seizures into that unknown category. They were going to try to clar clarify impairment of consciousness. Um, and indeed, they decided that awareness was a better term to use than consciousness. They were throwing in a few previously unclassified types. They were updating word usage, as we kind of mentioned already. They want to validate the use of EEG information. Interestingly, they want to conform with ICD-11 and 12. So ICD-9 and a continuing to ICD-10 used very old terminology. ICD-10 came out around. ICD-10 came out at around the same time that uh, 2010 classification came out. And interestingly, the ICD-10 people said, "We're not accepting this new terminology," and kept it with the old one. 
<coughs> I see the 11's already been decided on. They're already sticking with the old one. <coughs> the International League Against Epilepsy has high hopes that by the time ICD-12 comes out, their terminology and the ICD terminology will be congruent. Hasn't happened yet. They wanted to update a glossary that had been published in 2001 about seizure terms. They wanted to standardize common descriptors. And then they wanted to map some you know, old terminology to the new terms. To just quickly look at uh, some of this, um, seizure onsets can be focally generalized. Okay, and there's a list of them. As we mentioned, atonic and clonic and spasms and myoclonic, things have pretty much had only been considered generalized before we now recognize the fact that they could have focal uh, onsets. There's a key role of impaired consciousness. Why do we spend so much time worrying about this? Well, it has importance for driving issues. Should people with seizures be allowed to drive? Safety during seizures, i.e., if your consciousness is impaired, are you going to stick your hand in the meat grinder? Uh, employability, because employers don't want to be uh, at risk for employees having accidents. And the possible interference with schooling and learning. And in particular, they were worried about the fact that everybody understands that consciousness is impaired when you have a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. I, it's actually completely lost. But what about in the complex partial seizure? where it's just impaired. So the person's not obviously lying on the ground completely out of contact with the world, but is kind of standing there, or sitting there, looking like they're um, at least somewhat with it. And this is kind of repetitive, but they made a point that they had new focal seizures. Those things like atonic seizures that used to only be considered generalized were now also in the focal category. And similarly, the new generalized seizures just included, for the most part, subdivisions of uh, absence uh, seizures to include those with metabolic component, myoclonic components. And similarly, the uh, fact that there were certain epilepsy syndromes that involved myoclonic seizures in combination with other types of activities. And then a new combined seizure not really new. It's, we used to call this secondary generalization, but now it's being called focal to bilateral tonic-clonic. Okay, once again, somewhat repetitive, but they made a particular point of, of telling us that partial seizures should now be called focal seizures. A simple partial seizure should now be called focal aware. A complex partial seizure should be called focal impaired awareness. Okay. Uh, discognitive, a word to be used no longer, falls into that focal impaired awareness category. What we used to call psychic symptoms, we now call cognitive, seem to be more politically uh, correct. And then, as I pointed out, secondarily generalized tonic-clonic is now be to be called focal to bilateral tonic-clonic. And then, this was an example of what they did to the glossary. As you can see, a whole slide is taken up by five terms. The full list is about 50 terms long. And then they wanted these common, to encourage the use of these common descriptors, okay? These are just subjective you know, descriptive words. But once again, there's about 50 of them. But, but they invited you to use free text instead, if you wanted to. 
Okay? And then there was mapping of old terms to new ones. Absence was now to be called general. You know, it was still going to be called absence, but you could call generalized absence if you wanted to. Akinetic seizures were, go were going to be this fall into the same category as astatic seizures and atonic seizures. We were going to be call them either focal atonic or generalized atonic, depending on how much of the brain we thought was involved. Uh, and uh, complex partial seizure, once again, is focal impaired awareness. And so they had to develop this plan for how you're going to classify seizures. And so it's a two-page thing. You start off by determining the onset, okay? Is the seizure onset focal or generalized? And you want to be at least 80% sure of that. Don't ask me exactly how you would decide that you are 80% sure and not only 75% sure. But that's what they said. So how are you going to make that decision as to what you think the onset is? Well, remember, in focal onset, you're supposed to have networks involved that are only on one side of the brain, and generalized onset is supposed to be on both sides of the brain. But the truth of the matter is, what you're really looking for is level of awareness. In the generalized type of seizure, awareness is lost, either right at the beginning or within a few seconds of the beginning of the seizure. In a partial seizure, it's either not lost at all, or it's, it's only partially impaired. Okay? And they had a lot of rules to uh, decide when and when not to include awareness. Um, the, the, a focal seizure is a focal impaired awareness seizure if awareness is impaired at any point, not just at onset, but for the most part, you were to name a seizure by how it began. Okay? Classify a focal seizure by its first prominent sign or symptom, but don't count transient behavior or arrest. Once again, not really clear why they're discounting transient behavioral arrest and when is a symptom significant and when is it just something minor that we need to look at the, at the second symptom for. Okay. And then, once again, in that focal aware or impaired you know, category, you categorized it more as being either motor or non-motor. Okay. So this is basically that diagram I showed at the beginning. So you're going to say, gee whiz, I've heard this description of the seizures. Do I think it's focal onset, generalized onset, or can I tell? If I think it's focal onset, okay, is the patient fully aware or is there impaired awareness? And then which one of these motor activities is am I going to then call it, and which one of these non-motor qualities am I going to call it? Similarly, the same thing here. I think it's generalized. I'm going to look down this list and say, is, gee whiz, is it tonic-clonic, or just tonic, or just clonic, or just atonic, or is it a spasm? And that's how you figure out what to name each one of these things. I find that when I'm trying to decide it, I need to look at the diagram. Recognize that this classification scheme only came out on March 16th. You know, e-publication ahead of print. April is the actual uh, print time. So they had. They said the net effect of all these changes, complicated as they may be, is to make it e choice of seizure type easier, to clarify what is meant when a seizure is said to be a particular type, and to provide more transparency. Instead, it's made for a very complicated set of rules. But for those of us who need more help, the International League Against Epilepsy has a website called Epilepsy Diagnosis 
www.ghanaspeaks.org, uh, which you can go to, and it will work you through this whole process with good descriptions at each step. Okay. So, let's go to the videotape. Let's see what some of these seizure types that we've been talking about, you know, look like. And somewhere other. Oh, there we go. So here's an absence seizure. The girl's talking, and all of a sudden she stops talking, and she stares off into space. Lasts about 10 seconds, she shakes her head, and starts talking again. Here's another example. Boy's playing with something, stops playing, stares off into space. Few eye blinks. And then all of a sudden it's over. Okay, so those were we two things. We look at our diagram. Okay, we think it's generalized onset because they seem completely out of it for the time. They were, uh, and it seemed to be non-molder. And once again, it only lasted about 10 seconds, so we think that they're typical uh, absence seizures. Okay. Where is that? Mommy can't get rid of it. Okay, so he's turning his head to the side, his eyes also deviated to the right. And for some reason or other, I stopped it. Involuntary motor activities turned on So there he is, he's reaching for something that's not really there. Okay. So, whoops, let's stop this for a second. So those were both focal onset, okay, impaired awareness, and they had motor uh, automatisms, you know, with them. This next one is a great example. By the way, most of these videos come from the Epilepsy Foundation of America, which um, sent people with video cameras out into the real world, as opposed to most videos that you see of different seizure types where the patient is lying in bed in an epilepsy monitoring unit. And these particular videos here were done during one of the uh, summer camps that the Epilepsy Foundation of America, you know, runs. Um, so let's look at this one. This girl's on the volleyball court. She's standing there. She's making these very repetitive hand movements. She goes over. She starts playing with somebody else's, you know, clothing. She's actually not acting in a kind of confused manner. Still with the hand-wringing movements. She wanders over. The counselor realizes what's going on, takes her to the side of the uh, court, and talks to her. She looks like she's listening. 
Counselor tells her to stay on the side till this all passes. She looks like she's listening, but then obviously goes off and does something completely different. So this is a very good example of the sort of impaired awareness that one can have during a uh, focal seizure. Okay, back in the video EEG laboratory. This guy starts acting in a very kind of like confused manner, playing with the bedclothes, turning to the side. More funny stuff. Now the head turns to one side, and he stiffens up. Forceful expiration of air, making uh, noise. And then what happens? He stiffens all over. And then he begins to shake. So under the old terminology, this was a complex partial seizure which secondarily generalized. Under the new terminology, this was a focal impaired awareness seizure that progressed to bilateral tonic-clonic activity. people think this is? Right. So this is exactly the sort of thing that they spent a lot of time discussing. This is either a simple focal seizure with preserved awareness because nothing is happening here except that the, the leg is shaking. And then you can get into an argument as to whether this is rhythmic enough to be called clonic activity or arrhythmic enough to be called focal myoclonic activity. <clears throat> okay. So this person is sitting in the EEG lab. And she's going to have a good example of automatisms. So that's the type of stuff we're talking about. Okay. And you can see that awareness is impaired because she's not following commands. All right, it goes on for a while, so in the interest of time, trying to move ahead. Okay, there we go. So she's having a... So this is an interesting... 
technical glitch here. I'm a Macintosh person, so by the way, I blame anything that happens here on the fact that I had to move it over to the PC. The difficulty with this one, by the way, is that a lot of the myoclonus that she's actually having in her hands is um, covered over by the banner that says myoclonus. Um, she does eventually lead to a generalized tonic-clonic seizure, and the importance of this one is simply that um, it illustrates how not just partial onset seizures lead to, to uh, secondary generalization, or shall I say, focal to bilateral tonic-clonic activity, but also myoclonic seizures uh, you can, can do that as well. So there she goes with some myoclonus. That then turns into generalized stiffening. And shaking. So what's happening to this young man? Anybody? Myoclonic jerks. This is a patient who's the right age to have juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. And so people with juvenile myoclonic epilepsy can have up to three seizure types. Myoclonic jerks, generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and absence seizures, okay? These are the myoclonic jerks. They tend to happen during the first few hours after you awaken, and these are kids who um, will frequently stop drinking juice at breakfast because they'll have some of these jerks that will uh, cause them to spill their juice. This is perhaps a better example of that. And that's how people end up dropping things. Okay, everybody should know what that is, right? Absolutely. Infantile spasm, only we no longer call it an infantile spasm. We call it an epilept a generalized epileptic spasm, unless it's one of those rare ones that's focal in onset, in which case we call it a focal epileptic spasm. what this one is? It'll consist just of stiffening for 10 to 20 seconds. It seems to be on both sides of the body. So we would call this a generalized onset tonic seizure. Okay. How much time do we have left here? They don't have to be the entire body. Oh, this is another one that's This one just involves the head, what colloquially we would call a head drop. 
okay? And we would call this an atonic seizure, since loss of tone was uh, involved. Okay, once again, epilepsy camp has a more dramatic atonic seizure. Okay? Um, once again, while atonic seizures can be either focal or generalized in nature, that one seems to involve uh, both sides of the body and um, would probably fit more into the uh, generalized uh, characteristic. And um, so remember the person probably, as far as we can tell, not aware, probably completely unconscious, which is why there's no effort made to break one's fall. Okay? And in this last example, we'll see that very vividly. Okay? So, once again, not complete, you know, loss of tone, actually, because the leg extensors, um, you know, stayed tonic enough that he fell like a tree as opposed to just crumpling, you know, to the ground. Okay, and we have about three minutes for um, questions, if anybody has them. So I know that this most recent classification system just came out, but they've made attempts at classification systems, and I mean, the global plan then is we share the same language and ultimately yes. learn something about therapies or right. so difficult. Probably the most important distinction was what's been true there since 1981. Focal onset versus generalized onset. Okay? That's probably the most important thing that the EEG ever tells us is is it focal onset versus general onset. It does have treatment implications. We have drugs that are better at the focal stuff than the generalized stuff. Stuff that's better at the generalized stuff than the focal stuff. We have a few things like ethosuximide that's limited to one specific you know, type of generalized seizure. But that's probably the most important distinction that there is. I think the problem is with this latest system is in, in its attempt to clarify everything, they've, they've tried to slice and dice too much. They've tried to make terminology, you know, applicable to nearly every situation. And instead you end up with a very clumsy, you know, sort of, of system. But the good news is they don't have to worry about it being ratified. And not only that, you know, it, you know, we'll be forced to, to use this because it'll probably be included in ICD-12 whenever we get to that stage. And so just the same way we went, we quintupled the number of diagnoses we have going from ICD-9 to ICD-10, this is going to, you know, probably, you know, triple the number of, of types of, of seizure things that we're going to have to click off when we do our billing um, once ICD-12 comes along. On the other hand, maybe it'll be good for research. There's, you know, people use the billing information more and more for research nowadays. All righty. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs>